Welcome to Engaging Culture, a podcast presented by Bridgeway Christian Church. I'm Brian Kiley. Today, Pastor Lance Hahn and I are joined by pediatric occupational therapist, Christy Kiley, who, by the way, happens to be my wife. We're going to talk about how we can help our kids thrive during times of disruption. Right now, with schools and many workplaces closed, kids are totally out of their normal routine. How can we be intentional about making this a positive time for kids? What challenges can we expect and how can we overcome them? And then how do we take ourselves uh, in the, how do we take care of ourselves in the midst of parenting challenges? All of that and more on this episode of Engaging Culture. All right. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to season three, episode 23 of Engaging Culture, of the Engaging Culture podcast in quarantine mode. I'm Brian Kiley, joined as always from Folsom, California by Lance Hahn. Lance, hello. Yes. Hello, everybody. Super good to be with you. And yes, we are all in separate locations, even though two of us are married. That is true. I don't trust our internet. So I'm, I drove <laughs> into the church office for this, but very excited to be joined by pediatric occupational therapist extraordinaire and my wife, Christy Kiley. Christy, thanks for being with us. You're welcome. This started out as a joke and now I'm here. So And now you're here. So that'll teach you to joke with me. But uh, you have a beautiful home, by the way. Uh, it looks wonderful. Thank you. You should see what's just immediately like to the left of this side. Right. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, uh, so I'm excited for this conversation because Obviously, we're in a midst. We're in a situation right now where so many things are different in the world, but family dynamics are are just kind of all over the place right now. And obviously, a lot of parents are in a position where uh, they're trying to figure out this sort of new reality. So, uh, I have secretly wanted to have you on our podcast forever, uh, Christy. But this is the perfect opportunity to have you on. Um, but can you just for our listeners give them a little bit of a sense of kind of what your background is in terms of working with with children? Sure. Um, I've been working with kids ever since I started babysitting when I was like 10. And I always knew I wanted to work with kids. And um, God led me through a twists and turns of events to um, find the field of occupational therapy, and specifically pediatrics. So it's a health-based profession. It requires a master's degree for um, entry-level practice. So I went through all the education and internships um, and licensing required for that. And I've been working solely in pediatrics as an occupational therapist since 2011. So. There we go. Now, for those who like me before you went into this profession don't know what occupational therapy is <laughs> could you just explain uh for our listeners uh, what is occupational therapy and then what kind of things do you do as a pediatric occupational therapist sure so if we think of the word occupation like job um, we're thinking about all the jobs of daily living that we need to take care of um, for kids that's going to look different than adults but we think of the jobs or things that are important to kids that they need to be able to do. We always talk about how the primary job of childhood is play. Um, so play is an occupation. Um, I also am helping kids with any other jobs of daily living or occupations they need to be able to do during their day. So things like being dressed, um, eating and feeding, being able to participate in family functions and community functions, um, being able to interact with friends and siblings, being able to sleep, um, being able to follow daily routines. All of those things are part of um, a child's 
day. Those are important occupations in a child's day. So it's kind of hard to define. Um, but when you look at it that way, it's really anything that's um, that a child wants or needs to be able to do or that their family wants or needs them to be able to do. Christy, I have a question for you. And that is, why would a kid need all of our kids are doing these things. So obviously you're working with a certain type of child, right? right. So give us some examples of what type of child would need an occupational therapist. Like I think about rehab when mm -hmm. uh, we had to have an occupational therapist come in with my dad after he had um, some brain issues. Okay. Mm -hmm. But, but what, how does that work with children? Well, so let me flip the question back real quick to you. So when the occupational therapist was working in rehab with your dad, if you don't mind sharing, what kinds of things were they focusing on? Yeah, so they came in and uh, they were talking about how to get up because he had one part of his body that was slower than the other part of his body. So they mm -hmm. were having him, uh, how do you get up from the couch? How do you, you know, you push this hand here, make sure that your feet are this far apart so that you don't fall when you get up. And so that was, uh, so it was a lot of things like that. But, mm -hmm. but I guess my question is, is, um, not all children need occupational therapy, right? So what type of children do? Well, um, as OTs, we like to think that every child uh, could benefit from some OT support. I mean, we all have, kids all have things they want and need to be able to do. Um, but in terms of the medical model, because I work within the healthcare side of things, um, as well as the educational side. So healthcare-wise, um, for medically-based occupational therapy, typically there's some sort of um, diagnostic code or binary diagnosis that has to be sent over by the pediatrician. So it could be anything from autism, Down syndrome, cerebral palsy, ADHD, anxiety, um, to more um, undefined things like um, they get angry really quickly and it really impacts the family dynamics or they seem to have these underlying sensory issues so they don't tolerate you know bathing and teeth brushing and haircuts and um, hand washing and so they need someone who can help them learn to tolerate and participate in those kinds of daily activities so a lot of the clients i work with have diagnoses but many of them don't and it's just sort of a general um, diagnosis that's sent over like delayed milestones or something like that. Um, we also have some families who, for whatever reason, don't get a referral from their pediatricians, then they will pay privately. So there isn't necessarily a diagnosis, but there are specific concerns the family has um, related to motor skills or emotional regulation or sensory processing or something like that. Yeah, so it's a real wide wide range, obviously, of uh, of, ty of types of kiddos that, that you're able to treat. So the way that uh, the way that this by way of sort of introducing our main focus of the conversation today, I'm going to tell a funny story from from Christy and I and our uh, from our distant past that uh, comes up repeatedly, and that is that I, I don't even remember the circumstances exactly of this, but. Christy needed uh, the perspective of a non-expert on something okay. to do, something to do with a, a a child she was treating or something like that. So she came to me and she said, uh, "I need a common parent's perspective." And, 
So I, of course, uh, pretended to be really offended by this. Right. I mean, I, I, I wasn't, obviously, but I was pretending, like, oh, I'm just a common parent. So then I... <laughs> So then I have I have brought this up and this was years ago. So I bring this up, you know, occasionally where I just, you know, oh well I'm just a common parent. I mean what what could you possibly expect from me? I think so, it was her blog post I was writing, because I would never share confidential information with you about the kid they work with. But that's yeah. true, yes. It was for a blog. Like, that's And obviously what I meant was I need someone who's not an OT and is just like an everyday parent yes. who doesn't have all this like extra thought process going on. Totally. And you're right. It was for a blog post on your blog, mamaot.com. It wasn't for a, some, someone you were treating or, or anything. But so the way that this is going to go, and again, I like, it's just a funny thing for us now. It's not obviously not something. And I actually flip it back on her when I, when I, when I need the perspective of somebody who's not in ministry and on staff, I, I say, I, I need the, I need a common church person's perspective on this. So it goes both ways, a hundred percent. But kind of the role here is, is, is Christy's, Christy's going to be the expert because she knows kind of, she, she has a lot more expertise when it comes to interacting with, with children and all that. And, and Lance and I are going to play the roles of common parents, uh, me with, a, with, with two boys ages eight and six, and then Lance with his two teenage daughters. So, so that's kind of the, the role we're going to play uh, in all of this. But, but first question, and we'll go first to you, Christy, and then uh, get a common parent's perspective from Lance is, when things started to change so rapidly here a few weeks ago with schools closing, and then in your case, Christy, your clinic is currently closed, you're not working right now, uh, meaning that we were going to be home all day, our whole family home in the house all day. Uh, what was your initial reaction to that? And how did you start to process that? So my initial reaction was just very practical. Um, I tend to be someone who like when big um, challenges come, I'm just like, okay, well, this is what we're doing. Let's do it. Um, so for me, it was kind of like, all right, well, we'll just go with it. Um, I didn't, I was filled with a lot of peace and I, I like to think that that's from the Holy Spirit. Um, I didn't really have freak out moments. It was kind of like, okay, let's go. And being that you work um, in ministry and so you're gone most of the weekend. Uh, most weekends, we're kind of the boys and I are used to having a routine, the three of us, anyways. Um, I on the weekends we try to keep things as you know fun and relaxed as possible, but we do have a schedule. I've found that that is super helpful for decreasing tantrums and um, helping me be a little more peace during the day. So it was kind of like, all right, well we already have our system in place. Let's just roll with that and we'll just adapt it for whatever, you know, things are needed. Yeah. Lance, what was it like in your house? How did, how did things start to change over there? Well, I, I think the, the first thing that came down, we ended up bringing uh, our college student back into the house. Right. Um, and uh, at first it was this, you know, while we were reeling from all the information, there was a certain degree of, oh, this is neat. <laughs> We're all together again, you <laughs> yeah. know, and uh, it's kind of fun because then the girls got to laugh together and connect together and uh, they're super good friends. And um, uh, because Susie uh, has been going through her own health issues, she hasn't been able to get out a whole lot anyway. And so for her, she felt like, well, man, I'm doing the same thing I've always been doing, but now y'all are in my space, right? <laughs> the, kid, the kids are not at school. I'm not at work. And um, 
And so all of a sudden trying to work from home, I normally avoid working from home. I work at coffee shops or at the office because I can get more productive there. So I think I had to uh, resettle into a whole new routine. And I think I'm still settling in, to be honest with you. Um, but as, so I think at first it felt a little bit like um, vacation uh, where you went, I'm not sure what I'm doing today. And then you had to go find your routine because you started saying, I'm wasting so much time that all of a sudden you started creating routine. And I think that was really helpful. Yeah, I think that's a common that's a common sentiment that I'm I'm hearing from a lot of people, and, and certainly something that that I think in our family we're we're experiencing as well. Now, when it comes to to kiddos, Christy, uh, obviously everything that we're dealing with right now represents a pretty massive change for them. They go from, in our case, I mean, they go to a big school five days a week, and they have their routine, and they get dropped off, and they get picked up, and they have different people caring for them in the afternoon. Sometimes it's me, sometimes it's you know one of my parents or or whomever. Um, what do we need to understand about the way that kids process change or the way that kids process a disruption to their routine? Okay. So uh, it's really hard for kids to verbalize what they're feeling. They may not even know what they're feeling. And so we're going to see it through their body and through their behavior, um, whether they communicate verbally or not. Um, and I would imagine that most everyone who has kids of any age, but especially these younger elementary and, and below kids, have probably seen changes in their kids' behavior, whether it's increase in clinginess, increase in tantrums, increase in a desire for control, increase um, of wanting their own space, like go away, leave me alone, um, increase in crying, um, even increase in like antsiness and fidgetiness and not being able to sit still. Obviously they're, you know, not doing their normal physically active school day routine. Um, so all of those things can be seen and they're not necessarily bad things. They're, they're things that help communicate to us that they are processing this change and that it's hitting them. So it'll hit some of them harder than others. And, um, it's a clue for us to be able to, when we see those things pop up, the increased tantrums or the increased clinginess, um, that our kids are looking for some more stability and some more comfort. So, so, so broadly speaking, we want to offer stability and comfort. Mm -hmm. What are some practical steps that we can take when we start to see these behaviors in our children? Because I think, you know, from our listeners, uh, if they're parents of children of any age, they're going to start to observe some of these different behaviors that you've described where uh, what's going on is, is they're, they're struggling to cope with their new reality, but they're having a hard time expressing it. What are some practical steps that we can take uh, instead of just getting frustrated, which I'm, I'm guessing right. is not recommended instead right. of just getting frustrated, what are some steps we can take to help our kids begin to cope and process these emotions? So I'm going to pull some strategies from a couple of um, online parenting resources that I've actually been learning through. So I'll name them first. Um, the first is called Connected Parenting. So I think if you just Google Connected Parenting, that should pop up. Um, she's a social worker up in Canada, and she has some amazing free webinars for parents. And then the other one is called Positive Parenting Solutions. You've probably seen their ads all over Facebook if you're a parent. Um, but they have a lot of really good free resources as well um, that will more 
specifically answer that question because I'm not necessarily an expert in that area. But um, the, honestly, like the big take home from both of those is empathy and connection. Um, it's not leading off with discipline. It's not leading off with like planned ignoring um, dependent on the situation. It's um, stating back to them what they've said or what you're seeing. It's coming down to their level at eye level or below. It's giving them a hug or sitting next to them or um, saying to them, I know this is hard or I know I don't want to go rest right now either. I know I don't want the TV to be off either right now. Um, but that empathy and connection, um, is huge. And so I would encourage parents, um, to refer more to the experts on that uh, side of things, either with, like I said, connected parenting or positive parenting solutions. They have some really, really good practical strategies that are, um, free and you can watch them over and over. Yeah, no, let's er, go ahead, Lance. Yeah, yeah. A couple of things I want to just highlight. Um, uh, there's a lot of gold that was coming out of Christy's mouth right there, and I wanted to just highlight a couple pieces of it. Um, one of them is the issue about uh, tantrums or acting out. Um, one of the things that I think that we recognize about when we have an animal, a, a pet, is that they can't talk to us, and so you have to read what they're doing in their body language and their patterns of behavior. But unfortunately, the minute the child can verbally talk, we stop thinking that way. We assume that they're going to tell us what is wrong. And just because you can verbalize something doesn't mean you can verbalize your feelings or your emotions or complex concepts. And so I think that for us seeing a child go into a tantrum, that is, that is their cry out to say, something's going on, I don't know what's wrong, but I have to reassert some control because I can't handle the way it is right now. And so we immediately go into a discipline mode because we think that in some way they're trying to not be a team player, right? Um, but what's intriguing is we have to make sure that we are, we are very aware, and this is what Christy was saying, that we're very aware that they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. And so it's our job as a parent to help them figure out what they're doing and then figure out a solution. Um, but one thing that we got to stay away from is shaming them and saying, hey, we're all having a hard time in dealing with this. You just need to deal with it too. Because uh, we have different coping mechanisms that we've developed over decades. Uh, some of us are in our 20s, 30s, 40s, and up. That means we've had so much extended period on figuring out how to order our world and react with flexibility, they don't have that yet. And so it's not that they're trying to be bad. The, the other thing that I would encourage um, is understanding that every child is unique and their personalities are gonna respond different in mm -hmm. seasons that demand flexibility. So there's some kids that are just flippy floppy and they're completely cool with whatever roles. And they're like, I don't even care. And then there's kids that are so routine based any disruption causes a shockwave in their spirit and they're not quite sure what to do with it. So you'll look at one of your children doing super good in this and another child really struggling and you're like, what's wrong with you? Well, they're unique. They're just different people. So any, any follow-up on that one, Christy? Um, I think that's absolutely right. And I, like you said, I think it's so important to 
start to read and observe your kids as individuals, especially during this time when we're possibly around them a lot more. Um, I have kids, two boys who are totally opposite. So I have one who's extremely routine based and he does the same thing when he wakes up every morning and I've sort of joined him in that. And that's the way that I kind of connect and spend time with him is I just sit side by side with him and we do independent things, but we're doing it at the same time at the same part of the day every day. And then I have another kid who, you know, wakes up and he's like, woo, bring on the day. What are we doing? Let's make, let's do something new today. Um, and so with, within our sort of daily routine and schedule that we've made, it allows for flexibility between both of them. Um, and I would say also, I don't know if this relates totally to the question that you asked, but um, just finding time to spend individually with them each day. So, um, you know, one of them will go to the computer and work on iReady and do their math and reading for half an hour or so. And then that gives me a half an hour to do something one-on-one with the other one. Um, Today, it was cleaning off the desk in the room. But, you know, that obviously is not as fun, except for for my one child. It was more fun for him because he likes to work nice. Um, And then we swap and the other one goes on the computer. And then that gives me one-on-one time with the younger one. And we play a game or we work on making a snack or something like that. So um, in spite of the disruption, you know, finding time for that connection, um, even if it means putting the other one on technology for a little while, um, can help so much with um, that disruption of the daily routine because it's building in that connection and that safe space so that if you are doing something together, even if it's just going for a walk, those feelings and words that they might not even realize are in them can start to come out. Yeah. And that's, I think two, two things that, that Christy's really helped me understand a, a lot more is, is number one, I think to go back to, to what she said earlier about empathy and, and I think of responding, especially to, to the acting out with empathy. I mean, I can, I can attest that Christy models that with our boys really well, uh, especially our, our one who tends to be a little more emotionally explosive. Um, and, and that's been an important learning thing for, for me to not react to that emotion that he's displaying, but rather to begin with empathizing and, and recognizing the, the feeling and all of that. Uh, and then that, that, that personal connection component as well. To, to, I think that we can, as parents, as, as much as, I mean, I feel like, you know, both of us in our home and uh, Lance, I know, I know for you as well, I mean, very involved parenting around our kids quite a bit, but I think really taking the time for that personal connection is, is so vital because as Christy, you've kind of stated, that can really help in terms of just providing some sense of normalcy in the midst of kind of this, this really disruptive time that, that kids are going through. So both of those things are, are super important. Go ahead. Can I um, show you guys something real quick? That yes. kind of for that? Okay. So I grabbed this from one of our boys' rooms. Let me put my tea down. So this was something we started doing. I started doing several months ago. This is so a chat. Can you, sorry to interrupt you. Can you describe yeah. it too? Because this will be an audio podcast as well. So. Yeah, so this is a little like 49 cent notebook from Walgreens. 50 sheet memo book, four by six. Um, and it is just, you know, blank notebook lines for writing. Um, and as our boys, even in first and second grade, as they get older, there are days where I might not even see them except for taking them to school. Um, or where I come home and then literally it's, we eat dinner, we do showers, we do reading and they go to bed. Um, I know the same is true for you, Brian, depending on the day, I think I get a little more time with them than you do. Um, but anyways, I was like, I was realizing that there's 
limited space for communication and connection. And it's funny because even though they're in first and second grade, there are days where I'm like, oh, I should text Matthew this. And I'm like, Matthew doesn't have a phone. Like, why? I can't text him. And I was like, well, I want to have a way for us to be able to communicate just about silly things, but also kind of along the lines of um, preventing tantrums and all of that, but also connecting. Like if there's going to be a big change to our like weekend schedule or um, a evening activity that they were looking forward to, I can sort of front load them with putting it in a written form in a little note and then leaving it on their bed for them so they can read it and then have time to process that emotionally and cognitively. So then later when I see them, I can say, hey, did you get my note in your chat book about how practice is canceled this week or about how that play date you were going to have, actually they're out of town, so it's not going to happen. Um, and that has helped a lot with decreasing the big emotional responses um, when I tell them that there are going to be things that will change. But also I've found inadvertently that um, they have started to like write little notes to me and then put them in my room, um, either about silly things to make me laugh or like serious questions. So I told them I would never like read to them anything that was in it, but I want to at least read the introductory note that I wrote um, in one of my boys' books so you can kind of better understand how I presented it to them because I'm finding that um, I've kind of forgotten about the chat book during this time because we've been together so much, but um, even just yesterday I was thinking, oh, I need to get start get back up and going with chat books because there are, there are things that they're thinking or feeling or disappointed about that you know, we don't talk about. So here was the little introductory note I put in my second graders chat book. It said, Dear Matthew, this is our chat book. Sometimes there are things I want to tell you, but I can't because I can't text or call you and I don't see you for a while. So I can leave you notes here and you can leave notes for me in here too. Just put the chat book on my bathroom counter and I'll see it and I'll know to read through it and then I'll return it to you. Looking forward to chatting with you. Love, Mama. And that was in December. And then um, I'm just trying to see if there was anything else. Yeah, so that's how we've started to go back and forth just in writing. And I feel like it's kind of preparing them for like texting and emailing too. But um, I, I'm looking forward to using that more during this time of like quarantine and change because it gives them just another safe, solo outlet to be able to write things down and communicate if they feel like they can't tell me verbally or they just want to be able to like talk about it in private. So I wanted to add that in there because that's been a great addition um, to my relationship with them. And it's strictly me and them. So like, Brian, if you wanted to start a separate one with them, you could, but I want to be able to have it be like a sacred, safe, private space um, that can be more or less confidential um, as they're kind of navigating all of this like kid stuff yeah yeah i know the chat book has been a really special thing for for not only you but for for both of them as well and uh and yeah certainly something i i would just having observed it as the parent who does not write in the chat book is something i'd certainly recommend to, to other parents of, of little ones let's switch gears here and talk about school and academics in the midst of now all of us uh, now everyone's a homeschool parent whether you like it or not and yeah. Uh, Lance, we'll start with you without getting too far into the details of, of kind of, you know, what your daughters are up to. But just sort of broadly speaking, I, I'm curious to know, uh, what have you observed in terms of kind of how they've had to adjust uh, their, their academic life? Nothing's in, nothing's in person anymore. It's all online. 
Right. So um, uh, two very different experiences. One was our college student coming back, watching William Jessup University, where she attends, watching them be able to shift over a little bit. Um, it was still rocky uh, at the beginning when everything went online, but it picked up a little bit cleaner and a little bit more smooth because they do have some online learning. Whereas I found with our high school student, uh, Folsom High was not equipped at all and everything just stopped. And so it was like two weeks of, well, yeah, you don't have that assignment in or, you know, nobody's really tracking on things. Everyone's trying to learn. The teachers are on another room trying to figure things out, right? And so it was almost like there was a, a moratorium on school for two weeks and then when it came back so it's actually just coming back online this week um so it's they've been out for a while um but even then we had uh so we have a tutor a math tutor for our younger one and this lady now does zoom calls and she was always here we actually had to keep up with all the math because math is a little bit more of a challenging area so we actually kept that up even when school was on hold so yeah. we did, we were going through the book. They were going through the book, the, the actual textbook together, even though we didn't have school. Um, but when you have different interactive classes like French, my younger daughter's in French. Well, that's a lot of interacting pieces. Well, they didn't have any setup for that. Right. So all of a sudden that just froze out. So um, I've been really, really uh, proud of my, especially my older daughter who, Jessup was ready to go and she's been constantly working day in and day out. It felt like, man, she's got a lot of stuff going on. I'll tell you that. So yeah. we'll see how the little one does. Right. <laughs> yeah. Certainly helpful that Jessup had, uh, had the, the infrastructure in place already. Now, Christy, in terms of with little ones, uh, what would you say to the parent who, I mean, we're now a couple weeks into this. What would you say to the parent who now maybe they're home from work or they're working from home or they're trying to balance work and they're just feeling totally unprepared to participate in their child's education in this manner? Uh, what would you say to them to kind of help them begin to get their bearings? Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly like starting with connection. Um, it's all going to stem from there. I was reading an article or a blog post the other day about how, you know, we've been throwing this term homeschooling around, but those of us who had kids in classroom-based schools, we're not homeschooling, we're crisis schooling. And it's completely different than what you would actually do if you were signed up through like a homeschool charter program. So for parents who have never done this, I've never homeschooled. It's not been a thing I've ever done. Um, like it's all about just establishing that connection and that security and that routine right now. Um, you're not in charge of their, of developing their curriculum. You're not in charge of, um, you know, grading their work at this point in time. Like the, they still have a teacher who's in charge of that. And, um, so you can defer to the teacher on those things, um, depending on, you know, the district or the program you're in. Some schools are requiring certain work. Other schools are saying, um, it's all optional. We can't actually grade anything. So, you know, follow your teacher's guidelines, but all of us just want parents and families to be safe and healthy and 
feeling secure and connected right now. <clears throat> so honestly, that would be the biggest thing. Um, and then the next thing, like we were talking about before, just knowing the difference between your kids um, is rolling with what works for them and what works for you. Um, I've been texting with a friend who has um, a student in one of our kids' class, and she keeps sending me pictures of her child uh, reading at her feet while she works from home at her desk. And that's what works for them because that particular student wants to be close to mom and loves to read. So that student's been doing a lot of her stuff at mom's feet, whereas the other ones might need um, a desk set up or they might need a schedule or they might need lots of like recess and play breaks or they might want to sit next to you while they do their work. Even if you're not actually helping them, they just want your presence there. So finding what works in terms of their personality and what makes them feel um, secure um, is huge. And then obviously being home, it's a great time to um, incorporate hands-on activities and learning uh, whether it's school related or it's just life related. I know a lot of people, um, a lot of my friends I've seen on Facebook or that we've talked to, it's like, oh, great. We're getting a more involved in household chores and housework now. Uh, this is great. I have more helpers. Amen. And if you tie it into the daily routine or schedule and it's related to like if you're on a point or a checklist system where they earn so many check marks or points to earn screen time, you can throw that in there and now they're learning about how to, you know, empty the dishwasher, sweep up, make their bed, do the laundry, um, obviously not overwhelming them, but really having them um, understand what it takes to care for a household and also be part of a family unit. And now we're more like a team more than we ever were. Um, and... Um, that's been pretty cool. And I did want to throw out another resource related to that. So if a parent is feeling overwhelmed or defeated with even the thought of like trying to get their kids to help with housework, I um, had subscribed to this this lady a while ago. Um, her, her YouTube channel is called The Organized Mama, but she um, has developed a subset. Let me make sure I get the name right here. I think it's called The Organized Kids Academy. I think if you go on YouTube, um, the organized, uh, yeah, organized kids Academy. I think that's what it's called. It's related to the organized mama and it's her like six year old and seven year old teaching other kids how to do household tasks. Um, and she's building it right now. So there's just a few like a uh, little episodes. Some of them are a minute or two long. Others are like eight to 10 minutes long, but they're awesome. Like literally I showed our boys, um, a one minute video of her little girl teaching other kids how to make her bed. And she had the cutest little voice and she used, you know, some incorrect grammar and the boys thought it was hilarious and it was super simple. And they've been making their bed ever since like like the last three weeks and I'm like I've been trying to get you guys to make your bed forever and now you're like oh I could be like the little girl in the video um so maybe we can put a link to that in the show notes or down below or whatever um all these resources that I'm mentioning but yeah the organized kids academy so we watched a video about how to organize your desk today and it was the little like seven-year-old boy showing how he cleans his desk and that's what helped me with my second grader get started on that today and he thought some of the things he said were funny and it was all in. So that's so been super helpful. 
So the take home message here is if you want your kids to do something, find another kid exactly. to tell them to do it. Yes. And God bless YouTube that will yes. provide that kid right. to give your kids some instruction. Right. Well, and even um, being that I'm not working right now, I can't help myself. Like I need to help somebody else other than just my kids. And so I've been um, messaging with friends and helping provide suggestions for like um, sensory and movement strategies for like this homeschool type of day. And I've been like sharing a couple little like videos or photos. And one of my friends has been like, this is great and all, but I want your kids teaching my kids how to do this because they're way more likely to listen to your kids than they are to listen to me. Um, so I'm trying to figure out how to do that. Um, but but yeah. it's true. Kids learn better from funny little kids than they do yeah. from their Sometimes. Ain't, ain't that the truth? Uh, well, and, and one other element in terms of at-home education that I wanted to highlight that's been sort of sort of interesting to me, actually just a couple of other things, is, is number one, uh, I, I've been impressed, even at our kids' young age, how well-versed in the technology they are. I mean, maybe that just sounds really like, makes me sound like an old person to say that, but the right. fact that, my, that like my eight-year-old knows how to like start a Google Doc and then share it with his teacher, here right. I am thinking, I'm going to have to do all of that. And he's like, yes. no, I, I, I do this at school all the time. It's like, no problem. I'm like, oh. All right. So I, I realized, you know, didn't need to be as overwhelmed by that as as uh, as originally I thought. And then I think also just to recognize that while kids are at home, there's opportunity for different types of learning. Uh, just yesterday, uh, you had our six year old in the backyard doing volcanoes with vinegar and baking soda. Right. And having a great time with that. Uh, there are all, of course, now we're like inundated with all of these educational resources. I mean, the other day, this was back when Christie's clinic was still open and it was my day off. Uh, we went, we did this thing powered by Google where we went and toured five different national parks and the kids, uh, the kids loved it. And uh, this is my favorite one is that uh, anyone who knows me knows that, that, that I love basketball and our whole family loves basketball, that Matthew and I are going to watch a basketball documentary. And then we're going to make a timeline about key events in the documentary. And his teacher was like all about it. Like she loved it. She thought it was a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> so there are different, different opportunities for, for education. And, and I think that that can go along with kind of who is your child? What are they like? Uh, the volcano thing was much more in line with our second child's temperament, whereas the timeline is much more along the lines of our first child's. And, and I think to, to kind of take the time to, to acknowledge those things is, um, is important. Now, I want to talk about routine and structure. And, and I think maybe all three of us can speak into, uh, speak into this. Uh, Christy, we'll start with you. And then Lance, you can kind of comment, it from, on, comment on it from your household's perspective. Uh, what are some things that, that you've done and I'm going to ask this question like I don't know the answer, but what are some things that you've done to try to create a sense of routine and structure for our kids and for our family? And then what do you kind of, what do you feel like has worked and what do you feel like hasn't? Okay. Um, so we have um, a schedule that we've kind of been tinkering with and developing ever since this started a few weeks ago. Um, and like I said, this was something that our family was already used to on the weekend. So it was just like a seamless transition. Um, and right now we have it where like we've just kind of figured out what are the like things that we do throughout our day. And we've I've written them out and like cut them into strips that way they're movable um and flexible so for example like one of the little strips of paper is like do your morning stuff which is written down and they know it includes like 
eat your breakfast, get dressed, brush your teeth, make your bed. And now we've added help empty the dishwasher. And so one kid will pick utensils, one kid will pick non-breakables, and then I'll put away the breakables or the things that go up high. And we finish it in a couple minutes. Um, so that's just part of our morning routine now. Um, so that those kinds of things um, throughout the day. So we'll have like learning time for academics. We'll have, <laughs> they're so used to the term recess that we've just, gone with it so uh we call it breakfast recess so kind of like how kids would play outside before school starts on the playground um we're calling that breakfast recess so before we even do any sort of like focused anything they do their breakfast recess um and then we do a family um devotional and short prayer together and then i actually um being that i'm pediatric OT, um, and former gymnast. So who had to do morning practices before school forever? Um, I know that exercise in the morning is so, so helpful for focus, but also energy and behavior. So we do, um, some, we call it warm up time. So we have like 20 minutes of like targeted movement time. It's super nerdy, like OT stuff that I just can't help myself. Um, but we do that and then we get into our work. Um, we have our snack time, we have our lunch time. They are in charge of building their own lunches. So that's been fun for them. Um, we have fun learning time in the afternoon where it's like what you said, like touring national parks or watching drawing tutorial videos or watching science experiment videos or things like that. Um, they know that once they get through those things, they can have some screen time. Um, we try to do some sort of game or activity together as a family every day. And so that sort of general structure has been helpful, but it's super flexible um, and we can modify as needed, which obviously is helpful for teaching them flexibility as well. Um, challenges we've had or like the things we've had to learn from, um, it's just been child specific, I think. Um, you know, our younger one loves variety and intensity and needs like to be stimulated at all times, um, but also loves to come up with his own thing. So I, he does better when he has like more variety and control um, versus our older one wants things to be the same. Like he thrives when things are the same all the time. So, you know, he has a spot where his books go and a spot where his markers and pencils go and it stays like that all the time. Um, so I, I don't really have any specific um, things in regards to like big challenges we've experienced, but I think it's just been tinkering with like um, what works for each of them and then what the yeah. sequence is. Um, one thing I'll add and then I'll, hand it over to Lance, is that we do quiet time every day. And we've been doing that for a while, like a year or more, where it's like 30 to 60 minutes, kind of in that late uh, or early afternoon, you know, drag where tantrums start and kids are cranky. Um, so they have a designated amount of time that they do quiet time in their rooms. And that's so super helpful. Um, because if they've started to fight a lot, or they've started to get cranky, um, by the time they come out, usually they're much more peaceful, um, and they can do whatever they want in their room. They don't have technology in there, but they can draw, they can listen to the radio, I guess. They can play with toys, play with stuffed animals. Um, so that's something I've been tinkering with is making sure that that gets in there. Cause on days where we don't have quiet time, it's a mess. 
Yes, afternoon quiet time, very important in our house. One quick follow-up question for you, Christy, and then, then we'll go to yeah. Lance. Can, can you talk about the, the visual element of that? Because you don't just, and we don't just tell our kids the schedule, it's actually written out and they can see it. Why right. is that important, especially for young kids? Oh my gosh, visual, whether it's pictures or written is so helpful because kids have no short-term memory. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, or they, yeah, they forget or they want to like argue and debate with you. Um, and so in, you know, that balance between connection, but also like follow through and consistency. So let's say it's time for quiet time. Our older one loves quiet time. It's his favorite time of the day. Cause he gets to be by himself. Our other one fights it. Um, because he is highly social and he doesn't want to be by himself and he wants to have someone to talk to all the time. So when he's arguing and saying, no, you said that this was going to happen before quiet time, or you said that we can do this. And I'm like, go look at the schedule. What is it? Go check it. Go, go double check me. Maybe I'm wrong. Tell me what it says, you know, and sometimes he might try and move things around or there are times where he's like, I've written it on a whiteboard and he's like erased it and written something else. <laughs> um, but the how... development is so important. And even for me, like it helps remind me what's going on because I can't possibly remember everything that's going on during the day. And even in schools, they write their daily schedule on the board as well. Um, so it's super helpful for everybody. It's funny how the schedule, the written schedule can almost become like this, like objective third party that it's like, well, exactly. can't argue with the schedule. It's there. Right. So Lance, what does it look like in, in your house trying to establish some routine with, uh, you know, your kids are older and just your family's in a little different kind of life stage than we are? Yeah, I think that uh, for us, it's an awful lot of everyone's doing their own schedule. Everyone's on independent study, right? I mean, so, and we don't have to monitor in the same way. What What I would... What I would encourage, and it's a little bit of a side note here, but what I would encourage with teenagers is really understanding their rhythm because they've gotten into a pretty heavy rhythm. And they, if you want to have connection with your teenagers, you need to do it a little bit more on their rhythm than yours. And what's intriguing is you will be in the middle of your favorite Netflix show and they decide they want to have time. They want to hang out with you. And so they come in and flop on the bed and they're like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> and you're like, well, I was doing something else, but now apparently we're talking. So um, being able to realize that with teenagers, even though they're not little kids, uh, some of them might be bigger than you, uh, they are still... Um, they're still sorting out their world. And so on their patterns and behaviors, they will interact with you, but you got to do it on their timing as opposed to yours. And then one other piece I was just jotting down was that we need to be able to create and allow space for alone time for teenagers, but not abandon them there. That's a, there is a wide swath in there that we can live, but it's very, you know, in one sense, if you're always in their space, it's just going to start freaking them out. If you want to talk about somebody reacting too much and they start going, hey, get out of my room or whatever, they're feeling encroached upon. So you want to create space for them, but it's also very easy with certain personalities. They just go isolate and hide. And right. you're like, well, it's easier that way. Yeah, but it's not as healthy that way. So I would just encourage trying to balance out that, hey, you can have some space so you can reorder your world 
but at the same time, we still love you and we don't want you just disappearing and showing up to grab your dinner plate and then disappear again right back into your room. So um, I happen to have uh, two girls that were raised by a mama that was uh, really good at parenting and really good at routines and concepts. And Susie's the organized one. If you really want to know what to do, man, you need to be talking to that lady. You don't need to be talking to me. She's the expert here. Um, but I will say that because of the development that she has done through all these years of their life, remember one of them is almost 16. The other one is 19. So when, when you have already them developing into these roles, she's already set those in play and they're self-managing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Now I want, I want to talk about something we've, we've addressed a little bit and actually Lance, we'll, we'll go back to you on this one and then we'll go to, go to Christy because she's actually addressed this quite a bit with, with the little ones, but I want to see if there's anything more to add. So, so this morning in our staff meeting, Pastor Paul shared a terrific devotional and he shared this quote that I thought was really wonderful from John Gottman. He said that listening is the single most important relational skill a person can develop. How do we get better? So two questions. How do we get better at listening to our kids in light of all the different challenges that the two of you have brought up? And then what do we need to listen for to know when they're struggling? So so two questions. Lance, we'll start with you. Yeah, the first one I would say, um, uh, even though, you, let's say you have kids that are a little bit older and we assume that once again, that they should be able to articulate Uh, I need you to understand that I'm doing the same listening type skill work with adults that I counsel, uh, that I do with little children, which is they're not saying always what they mean. They are saying what they know, or they're saying what they believe is acceptable, or they're saying um, what is a storyline they're trying to create. But the most important thing is as you deeply listen, you're listening for underlying subtext. You're listening for when they say that, what is their body language with that? When they say this, is that really the issue? And I think constantly asking the question, why is that important to them? Why is that important to them? In your mind, not not always asking them that, but I'm saying in your mind, you're digging down and you're listening for meaning even more than listening for actual words. So that would kind of be the, the, the first thing. And then I think your secondary question was, how can we get better at listening? Was that the point? No, the, 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 that was the first one, and you oh, answered yeah. it wonderfully. Uh, the second one was just kind of, what are some maybe, you talk about listening for subtext and, and different yeah. things like that. What do we need to listen to in order just to know that our, our kids are struggling? Just in the sense of kind of struggling with the fact that we're in a global pandemic, the fact that their routines are all messed up, just all the different, the fact that they're missing their friends, all these different things. What are some things we can listen for to know that our kids maybe need a little extra support? Yeah. So the the first thing that you can look for is the mini tantrum, which means they're lashing out at people. Uh, when When you see that, even with a teenager, you begin to realize there's an underlying tension and they're not quite sure why that is. The other thing that we need to listen for when there's a problem is when you hear them on a lot of long conversations with friends on the phone, but there's not a lot of laughter coming out. It just seems to be a bit more tense. Um, I think that we can watch for or listen for when they tend to complain uh, in, a, in a pattern behavior and they're complaining about things that don't really matter. Usually it means there's something else that's going on and they're just complaining about what they can see. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so these are all little ways to to ping in there. I think Christy's probably far better at at that for the young ones than I am. Yeah, Christy, what would you say for for little ones? How do we get better? You've talked about chat books and things like that. What are some other strategies for both getting better at listening and for just recognizing when our kids are struggling? Um, I mean, observation is huge. I think it's important not to just assume what they're thinking. Um, obviously we know our kids better than anyone else. So we may think that we know what they're thinking based on, you know, our experience with them. But, um, you know, I may assume that my, one of my kids is upset because of X, but it's actually because of Y. Um, and I think like Lance was saying, just watching for those, um, beginning signs or those mini tantrums when they are picking more arguments than usual or talking back more. Um, even like one of our kids, he's hasn't been feeling great the last couple of days and I can just see that he's picking more fights. He's being a little bit more ornery. Um, and so I've responded to that by trying to give him a little bit more, um, you know, nurturing input, but also kind of giving each of them space from each other. Um, but I think also the kinds of questions that they ask, um, can really help you understand what they're thinking about. Um, you know, even our little ones, the four and five and six year olds, they think about big things and this is a scary time. And, um, you know, one of our kids, he struggles with really worrying a lot about safety in the world, even before all of this started. And so the sheer volume of those kinds of questions has definitely increased. Um, And so he'll ask me those questions. And so when I know when he's asking more and more questions related to safety, that it's really on his mind, like I'm probably only seeing the tip of the iceberg. I can't even imagine what's going on, you know, in his, in his brain and in his emotions. So if I know that that's just the tip of the iceberg, it's going to help soften my heart a little bit and show a little more compassion and understanding when he is lashing out. Not that I want to encourage and, you know, just brush off like, okay, just be, ang- just be mean and angry because you're you know worried about the world. But, um, I can, I can respond to that based on listening to the questions he's asking and understanding where that might be coming from. Yeah, kind of getting underneath those those displayed emotions. That's such a such a critical uh, critical thing for us to do as as parents, and it can be it can be hard to do, especially when we're feeling stressed uh, ourselves. So we're almost out of time here, but I have two more things I wanna I wanna hit on before we we wrap up. And and one is I just anytime we're faced with challenges, and I want to be clear that we're in the midst of an absolutely massive global challenge, and it is tragic on a hundred different levels. And I know that the day to day lives of of all sorts of people are being upended. So, so I do, I in no way want to minimize that reality and, and the difficulty that this is, is causing and is going to continue to cause for, for a lot of people. I always want to be sensitive to that. Uh, however, in the midst of these challenges, there are opportunities. And when it comes to our kids, uh, I want to go, we'll go first to you, Christy, and then, and then back to Lance. What kind of opportunities exist for us in this season to invest in our kids in some ways that might be difficult or impossible in quote unquote more normal times? Mm-hmm. Um, for one, it's a really nice um, opportunity to teach and model resilience and that concept of grit that everybody's talking about. I had read something a while ago um, when 
kind of helping your kids develop resilience and grit is helping them understand the silver lining um, when bad things happen, right? So even if it's as silly as, um, you know, you drop, they break a dish, right? They're like, um, they drop a cup and it breaks everywhere. And the initial response can be some sort of silver lining response like, oh, I'm so glad that didn't cut my foot or, oh, I'm so glad that glass wasn't full um, and I didn't get burned. Even just little things like that to start to see um, the positives in the challenging or the negatives. So obviously with everything going on, it gives us a chance to help them understand, well, where can we see silver lining? Or even like this morning, um, we were talking about one thing that we're not happy or not thankful for in this um, quarantine time and then something that we are thankful for. And um, that is such a, this is such a perfect time to work on that. Um, so that's one thing. And then, um, you know, exploring their interests. There's such opportunity for further exploring their interests. Like you said, Brian, with our older one exploring like the basketball documentary and learning more about that or doing more hands-on science experiments like my little one likes to do. Um, and then even just like doing crazy things that are memorable that you would never be able to do. Like the first day of quarantine, we poured glitter all over the driveway and our little one rolled around in the driveway shouting, this is the best day of my life. And, <laughs> and it, it has rained multiple times since then and the <laughs> glitter is still there. And that's going to be a memory he has forever. Right. Um, so being able to do those memorable things um, that normally we would be like, oh, why would you do that? You know, um, so those are just a couple quick, quick ones. What about you, Lance? Um, let's see. So I have kind of I, I have three. And um, the first one is the most simple. And that is there's a lot of us that really want to love on our kids. But our kids are usually really, really busy. You would now have a captive audience to go love on them and they can't escape. And so you get a chance to give more hugs. You get a chance to be in their space. And so I think that's a beautiful opportunity. The second one is probably a little bit more deep. And I don't know if any of us would necessarily think to do this. It, it kind of goes along with what Christy was saying, which is uh, a deeper life lesson, which is trying to show them what resolving conflict looks like. Um, it's almost impossible in these close quarters um, to not have conflict. Um, and a lot of times it is a very common pattern in family dynamics that the parents will argue and then they make up behind closed doors and the kids never get to see the actual resolution to the conflict. They just come out and magically some, and something's okay. Yeah. I, I think that when we're all in together, as much as they're looking at you to your bad stuff that you're doing, they're also looking at you on the good stuff that you're doing. And so once again, even just showing them how to resolve simple conflict, I think is very helpful. Just saying, hey, you know what? Maybe we need to talk about this, stuff like that. Uh, and then the last thing that I would say is share interests. Um, uh, so for example, my, my girls both got into uh, Downton Abbey with my wife. And oh my gosh, the drama <laughs> in this house. Holy cow. People <laughs> coming downstairs crying and because so-and-so character just died and it was like, but it's so funny because they're all having this big shared experience, right? Without me, by the way. Um, of but course. Yes. That's what we do in our house too. Yes. And it's super, super fun that they then throughout the day start talking about characters from the show 
And it's it's almost like if some of you have ever watched uh, the show Friends together or whatever, and you start saying, oh, that was kind of like that one character and you're laughing about it. That actually creates little connection bonds. Right. But even if it's something tangible, like let's say you're into puzzles, but your kids aren't. When they get to a certain boredom level, they might be into puzzles. <laughs> and all of a sudden you bring them in and then all of a sudden they start going, oh, well, now all of a sudden I'm interested in the conclusion of this. You're just seeing how many shared interests you could possibly get. Right. Yeah. No, I love that. And I love the opportunity, like you said, to, to share those interests in, in a situation where we have a little bit more time. Um, pardon the cliche, but it gets said all the time and it really is true. Kids spell love, T-I-M-E. And even though there's, there, there's oddity and stress, I think, for us as adults, even though now, I mean, work always came with us, but work is now coming home with us and it's there all the time. So sort of creating those boundaries can be a little bit of a challenge. I think the fact remains for, for the vast majority of us, there are opportunities to create those sort of time investments and to have those common experiences, whether it's, like you said, watching a TV show, rolling around in glitter and being ridiculous, uh, just doing something fun that you wouldn't ordinarily get to do or learning about something new together. I mean, even uh, <laughs> just last night, Disney plus finally got us. We subscribed to Disney plus and but I'm sitting there with, with Matthew, our oldest, and we're looking at all these National Geographic documentaries, looking at, man, could, we could learn about Antarctica. We could learn about all these places, and he's getting excited about that. So I, I just I, I think we can get creative and allow it to be something that is in line with our own personality and our kids' personality. But, um, there, you know, I, I was hesitate to say this because I don't want it to be like this, like, guilt obligation thing. But I just think there's great opportunities here, and I think it'd be unfortunate if as parents – uh, we we miss those opportunities. So the last thing I want to talk about, and we'll go uh, we'll go Christy and then Lance, is self care from a parent perspective is always important. But I think especially now, as uh, your kids are with you all of the time, and we love our kids, but they're with you all of the time. So much. Noise. I spoke. I spoke. We're recording this on a Tuesday, and I spoke yesterday with. Melissa Bergen, our, our soul care director, about self-care and its importance and kind of keeping your marriage healthy. But what about self-care in terms of keeping your parenting healthy? What is that looking like for you right now, Christy? And then kind of why is that important? And then we'll go to you, Lance, after that. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm very much one who likes my routines and I like my alone time and silence. And I'm used to like on Monday mornings, the boys go to school and I'm home until I go to work at one. So I have a whole morning of silence, at least once, you know, once a week. That obviously is no longer there. I don't get four hours of silence anymore. <laughs> and I mean, what mom does, I was very blessed to have that for um, the short period that I did. Um, but I, I would say knowing what things you need as an individual and as a parent um, to be able to be calm and reasonable and at your best. So I know that I need my cup of coffee in the morning. Um, I need my special medicine that helps me to not be so angry. <laughs> um, and I know that I need some sort of routine. Um, so for me, <clears throat> that having that daily schedule has been helpful, but I also know that I need alone time. I need silence. Um, I've never been one lately to like go for a walk or run in the morning. Um, but I've started going on like a 20 minute walk just around the block by myself. Um, at some point in the eight o'clock hour, I tell the boys 
Daddy's home. He's working in the office. I'm going for a walk. You guys don't kill each other. You know, I'll be back in 20. And um, that's been really nice for me for silence, but then also for a little bit of um, movement. And then also it's my my chance to kind of just listen for the Lord and um, pray and prepare myself for the day. Um, and that's been nice. And then also I, um, I'm when I need to have some sort of creative outlet and, um, I am not artistic, but I like to do sorts of artsy craftsy things. So I've been working through like a calligraphy and hand lettering book. And so I try to make some time to work through that every day to um, just, you know, work on that little creative outlet as well. And it's been something that um, the boys like are looking at my progress now. They're like, oh, did you work on your letters today? And so it's been kind of a fun little thing. But I also, the last thing I'll say is, um, you know, I make sure that the boys know that I need certain things in my day. Um, I need to go for a walk. I need to be alone for an hour. I need, I've been taking naps most days, honestly. Sometimes it's half an hour and sometimes it ends up being three hours. Like they know, like if mom's asleep, don't wake her up. Um, but that helps so much with my mood. I find like if I'm cranky in the afternoon, I'm like, oh, it's because I'm tired. So don't be ashamed of like falling asleep and letting your kids watch TV for three hours because if it means that you're going to be healthy physically and emotionally, then so be it. Amen. Lance, how about you? Yeah, I think that um, it is so individual. I think what Christy said is absolutely right, which is you just got to do what you got to do. Uh, to make sure that you are uh, a good parent. Um, I think that I've really had to compensate for some of the anxiety pieces that I've had throughout um, throughout this whole process and realizing, well, what can I do? What are the little things that I can do? Is there something I can get my head in the game? Is there something? And sometimes the answer is, I'm just not, I'm not perfect. It's just not going to work out perfectly that way. But I think that for every parent to realize your body is also giving you indicators, as much as we're trying to watch over our kids, you are also getting the same indicators. And if you're snappish, something is going on and you might need to be able to, to track on what's best for that. And then um, just as we close out, Brian, when, it, when you get to that point where we got to close out, I just had one other encouragement for people with teens about something I think is pretty important. Yeah, please. Let's, uh, let's hear it. Okay, so the final thing I want to just say for those of you that have teenagers at home is please try to understand the significance of them being separated from their friends. Mm. Uh, that is their entire social circle. Now, if you are married and you're a parent, at one point you picked someone and said, I want this to be my life partner, and they're probably still in your home with you. Um, your, your kids or teenagers' primary uh, society is kept away from them physically. And um, it's still not enough to do texting and Zoom and all that stuff and FaceTime. Um, they are still internally suffering from that more than you would be as an adult. So I, I would just have everyone just kind of remember that. Yeah. And just, I would imagine then the, the kind of the application point, if we can boil it down, is just some empathy for the for the reality of that struggle. We can't fix it, of course, but just empathy for the, the struggle that they're in. Right. Yeah. And I add, oh, Chris, are we going to add something? Go ahead. Yes. I was going to add, um, so two things, um, when I was really struggling emotionally, I, 
internally, again, like not really stating anything and probably nobody could tell that I was struggling, but um, is I put together um, a big uh, worship playlist through Amazon Music. Um, I, I have a bit of an obsessive personality, so it's nine hours long. Um, <laughs> Because I just couldn't stop myself. Um, Very infrequent repeats, though. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that's been helpful just so that, like, in that moment when I need to be filled up, I can just say, Alexa, play my worship playlist, and off it goes. Um, and then, so that, and then also the Dwell app, which I think we can get through the Bridgeway app. Yes. So if you go to the Bridgeway app, if you go to the Bridgeway app and you get it through the Bridgeway app, don't get it straight from the app store through the Bridgeway app, you can get uh, 60 days for free, which is pretty cool. So go ahead. So it's called dwell, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I downloaded that and it's like audio devotionals and audio scripture readings. And so it's like a playlist of scripture. Um, which the other day I was really struggling. Like I'm not one who gets super anxious. I tend more towards like the depression side, but I was just having this feeling in my gut. I was like, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I just don't know what's going on. I feel terrible. And so I went in my room and I closed the door and I tried turning on the worship playlist and I was like, Oh, too much noise. I can't, I can't do that. But I turned on the dwell app and they had like this six minute, like, anxiety like scriptures for anxiety um playlist and it's literally just somebody reading scripture after scripture after scripture and i played it like three times in a row and that was so helpful um and for self-care for myself um spiritually and emotionally having that app has been great because if i'm like just sit there with the bible like i'm just gonna end up flipping through and be like oh that wasn't helpful oh that wasn't helpful but to have these like curated playlists ready to go of scripture has been something i've never experienced and it's been awesome yeah yeah no that's that's a it's a great resource and like you said the fact that it's curated and that they've gone through and said like okay for all these different emotions that you're feeling here here's some it'll like you're not having to think like ah oh, gosh what do i read when i'm anxious it's like here you go here's something that's literally the word of god it's not somebody's yeah. commentary it's just straight from the word which is so cool yeah all right well i'm going to squeeze in my last two things since you both got to squeeze in your last two things and then we'll uh and then we'll call it but i think that even you know christy you kind of uh, even the situation you alluded to a minute ago i think it highlights to me i think the importance of just if you're if you're if you're if you're married and you've got your kids at home and all of that, just the importance of communicating what's going on and communicating your, your needs and that communication, maybe it's not always going to be pretty when you're really in a tough spot, but the necessity of communicating it is important. So even on a daily basis, things like uh, that, I know, like Christy just alluded to that, that morning walk is really important to her. So anything I can do to be at least in the home. I'm in, I'm in my office, I'm working and our kids are old enough that they can kind of take care of themselves. But I'm at least, I, I'm doing something where if I need to disengage to help the kids, I can do it so that she can go on a walk or, or she knows that for me to get my time to exercise in is really important. So kind of when I finish work for the day to have that time to exercise beyond just physically, it's just so good for my mental health and, and everything else. So just to communicate your needs to one another so that you're just aware and then you can partner together where I feel like 
for me to make it possible for, for Christy to go on a walk, that's not just like me doing her a favor. To me, that's us working together. And then in the same way, her being able to, to you know, know that my exercise time is, is important to me. And then I think just for parents everywhere, I just always want to reiterate this over and over and over again, because we live in this social media world and we all love taking pictures of our parenting successes. And that's great. We do it. Christy does it. I do it. I'm not against that but we take pictures of the successes. We don't take pictures of the failures and the failures are many. So by all means, observe what other parents are doing, get excited about it, maybe be inspired to try some things yourself, but please, please, please don't look at what you see online. Don't look at what you see anywhere else and then think that, oh, I'm a bad parent because I'm not doing these things or, oh, I'm a bad, or they're so much better off than I am. I think we can sort of shame ourselves on social media. And that is not helpful because at the end of the day, we are all in this together as parents. And I think our job is to support one another and encourage one another. And that starts with being confident enough in ourselves that we're not feeling threatened by different things that we, we see. So uh, just important to, to, to remember that even, you know, even I think about, we posted a video of, you know, Joey throwing a football into a, into his, his basketball hoop. And everyone's like, wow, that's amazing. It's like, guess what we didn't post? The 50 that he missed, you know? <laughs> and I took videos of them. <laughs> yeah, we took videos of them. We didn't post them. But, you know, that's kind of the point. So that it's all, it's, it's just, we're all all over the place. We're all in this together. And let's make sure we show grace for ourselves and all of this. So uh, thank you, Christy. You are amazing and wonderful. My amazing and wonderful wife. You did awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. And Lance, my amazing and wonderful boss, glad that you are with us as well. Thanks for your perspective as always. And, oh, he's on mute, so we'll just assume that he was thanking me for thanking <laughs> I was thanking and, you as well, Brian, for being <laughs> my amazing friend. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, and thanks to all of you for listening. I hope you're doing well out there in the midst of uh, these wild times. We love you, and we'll see you next week for another episode of Engaging Culture. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Engaging Culture, a podcast by Bridgeway Christian Church. If you enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Music is used under the Creative Commons license and is provided by Dexter Britton.